and welcome to the Raptors Show on the Sports Radio Network, presented by Coors Light. Go from full time to game time. Coors Light, made to chill. Make sure you find the Raptors Show wherever you listen to podcasts, subscribe, and please rate and review the show. I'm your host, Wayne Lou. I'm joined by my co-host, Blake Murphy and Alex Wong. Three of us in attendance last night as the Raptors took down the Minnesota Timberwolves uh, in the home opener. Not the prettiest game, but the result at the end, very exciting. The Raptors winning a close game despite their poor offense, something that did not happen a lot last year. I'm in great high spirits. Um, yeah. Blake, how are you doing? I'm good, man. It was uh, it was nice to be back around. It was nice to have real basketball to talk about today and instead of, you know, like I, I've had fun in the lead up, but eight preview shows was was probably enough. We got real stuff now. And I think to oh, our credit, not not that this was a, a surprise, mm-hmm. but it really did play out the way we had kind of teed up the season. It's like, yeah, they're going to be really good in transition offense. Mm-hmm. They have the potential to be unbelievable defensively. And in the half court, the offense is going to be, oh my goodness, what a slog. And last night, I think would have been like their fourth or fifth worst half court offensive night of last season mm. where the bar was so low. And this is on a night, by the way, they had 40% of their threes last night, mm. which uh, does a whole bunch of them in the fourth quarter. Yeah. Pascal with two Dennis with one OG with one. So. Yeah. And like you would have thought if they hit 40% of their threes, we'll feel a little bit better about their yeah. offense. And that was uh that barely snuck them there. So I think this is, if you're a head coach, Darko Ryakovich, if you're the Toronto Raptors, this is great because you come out of this with a win. It affirms some of the stuff you've been doing defensively and you have so much room to improve on this one still. You know, my hot take is uh, I actually think the half court offense wasn't as bad as the numbers said it was yesterday, but we'll get to that later in the show. Alex Wong, you're going to captain the ship at least for the first segment here. Oh, I got to talk. Okay. What's, um, going on, bro? what's up brothers. So yeah, no, I think, I think following up on what Blake said too. Like, you know, it's funny, like watching Jakob Pertle come out yesterday. Like he was the designated guy to to give that little speech <laughs> to that the fans. Speech, man. And we know, you know, Jakob, I'm not trying to <laughs> I feel like I give Jakob a hard time on this show I mean, all the you time. You did call him Big Ugly last week. I did. It, that was Fred's nickname. Anyways, um, and I was like, man, it's going to be a 41 and 41 season again, but just with better vibes. It's like, you know, when, when like Dennis Schroeder misses a three in the fourth uh, quarter. It's like, oh, it looks better than Fred's though, um, even though it looks like the exact same. But it's like, yes, I do feel like, I think the one thing I come out of last night too is just hearing the post-locker room talk, which we'll get to, and hearing just like their approach to like preseason and stuff. Like it's exciting for me that it feels like this team with Darko is trying to build towards something. Like last year, it was just hard for me to think about at any point in the season where like, um, it felt like there was prolonged stretches of them building towards something. It just felt like they never got momentum on anything. Scotty's second season, you know, them trying to bounce back from like that first round exit from Philly. They just none of, none of it was like going anywhere. And I know it's just one game, but I do like kind of them flipping the page and it feeling like um, it feeling like that they're kind of just turning the page for the season. Yeah, I think look, we're, we'll get into some of the the post game stuff, and, and I think you know Darko is going to be tested pretty early here in terms of yeah, the the vibes are great and this was a win, so maybe you don't have to test it against a loss, but uh, I'm sure we'll talk about the decision that Chris Boucher wasn't in the rotation, and how mm. does that feel? Malachi Flynn did not look like someone who's going to stay in the rotation very long. What is that discussion what like? What did I say yesterday, Blake, when yeah. we played the two truths and a lie? Yeah, it was a uh, big lie. Yeah, so Will, here, I'll throw it to you. What's, yeah. the, what's the one thing? I mean, we, we've touched on a lot of these things here. What's the one thing you want to dive into? I want to start with the postgame celebration. So oh, okay. I'm reading... Uh, the piece that Grange wrote yesterday. And again, I can't recommend that enough. I, big read. It said 25 minutes. Read, yep. caution. It was more like a 12-minute read, but like really great detail, really great insight. And one of the things that stood out to me was Darko's so about business that it was like 
you know, it's the first game that he's coaching in the NBA, right? Huge milestone. He's been coaching for almost 30 years by this point since he was a teenager. You would think he would fly in friends and family to be here, <laughs> right? He All he had in attendance, according to the piece, was his wife and his son who lived mm. with him. That's it, right? And so I was thinking, like, man, how focused is, is he on basketball? Like, is that an unhealthy appreciation for basketball <laughs> that you only do that? But then the post-game celebration, and we'll just tee it up here on, 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 the, on the TV side, uh, obviously on the radio side, you got to hear it. But it was such a joyous moment, and I'm really happy the players responded so strongly to him because it is a great moment, and it really did illustrate just how much Darko has connected with those players. Let's run that clip. It's not easy, and you guys gave it all out there, okay? And I'll tell you this, none of you guys played the best game of the season tonight, okay? We have so much more room for improvement, and that's our goal, night in, night out, to continue getting better. Yes, sir! And what you guys did, we stayed together, and you got, 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 got a win for the team. Hello, job, guys. Bring it in. Go, go what you got, baby! Family on three. One, two, three. Um, I got goosebumps watching that clip back, man. Whose voice cracked with the yes, sir? I think it was Precious. It sounded more (laughs) like Precious to me. But I mean, yeah, like do we we either have the Serbian Ted Lasso as our coach right now, yeah, or we have uh, the Serbian Vin Diesel yelling for Family on three. Let's go with Vin Diesel because Ted Lasso ended horribly. Um, Wasn't a a great season one though. yeah, that's so did Nick Nurse. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're right. So did Nick Nurse. Yeah. So this is uh we we can go with the Vin Diesel one. Then we can yeah. work in a nice plug for the mm-hmm. the show's title sponsor. You can have any beer you want as long as it's a Coors Light. Oh there you go. I like that. Oh yeah, Vin Diesel. Yeah. yeah. No, Blake, I got two words for you, man. Darko Ryakovich. Like I know I know the conversation is obviously so centered around the vibes and like the comparison to last year. Um, you know, what did you make of, you know? Just so far, they're undefeated with Darko, man. Yeah, I, th- I think it's good. I think, you know, rotation-wise, we could pick at a couple things mm-hmm. yesterday. You know, something uh, as simple as like, okay, well, mid-late second quarter, uh, there's a, a break in play and there's a sideline inbounds with like eight seconds left on the on the shot clock and you take out OG and Gary for uh, McDaniels and, and Scotty Barnes. They're like, okay, that's maybe the sub pattern, but with eight seconds left on offensive possession, maybe that's something you want to tweak and are you, like, we're, we're very nitpicking here, I'm just saying that it's not a finished product. I, I love that the very first message in that locker room after the celebration was like, yo, we have so much room to improve on because that was, you know, that was the the feeling from the game as well. I think you see from that moment that these guys are, are behind him, right? And, yes, and believe in sure. him. And I think that's a, a really important part of this. And again, we'll see as things, as as adversity sets in over the course of the year, we'll see how that holds up. But, you know, we heard it from in the, you weren't down yet, Will, because you were doing the post-game podcast, but we were in the media room, which is, you know, off to the side of the locker room, and those doors are closed, and you usually can't hear much from in there. And it was like a long chunk of cheering. Like, they were really giving it 
up for Darko and, and probably for each other too, because yeah, this yeah, is a, sure. a culmination of the weeks of work they've they been putting in. Game. But they're very yeah. much, they seem very, very much behind him and, and that he is, you know, kind of galvanized that group. And it's a yeah. group that, yeah, there are some different pieces, but like of the minutes from last year's opening night, 81% of the minutes went to the same guys mm. as last year. So like, mm. it's not that much turnover. So to feel that kind of different energy is, uh, is important. Again, we'll see when adversity sets in, but I thought adversity set in a couple of times last night too. Like you, you don't get the call that goes your way. Gobert and Towns and Naz Reed are, are really tough to play against because of their size. Um, you know, no one had any space really on offense and they continue to, you know, fight through that and stay together as a group. And, um, you know, I, I, I don't think you could be more encouraged so far with, with the Darko side of things. Yeah, you know, Will, like I was watching uh, back tape this morning um, and, you know, there was this one play in the fourth quarter. I think you highlighted too. It was the one who, who made the block and then Dennis had that ridiculous save. Count as watching tape. No. You just saw my tweet. No, I actually didn't even watch the <laughs> video the, on the, the tweet. The Scotty yeah. block where Scotty and Yak converge yeah, yeah. in so the, the paint block and then happened. Shooter kicks it ahead. Hey, if it's on, Scotty, it, if it's on Twitter, it's tape. Um, okay. so, right. so, yeah, the block happens. Dennis makes this ridiculous save that, like, goes off the basket and off then, the backboard yeah off the off backboard the yeah they go the other way they they run a bit of offense and then pascal hits the three yeah um like i thought it's like those type of sequences i don't remember a lot of those sequences just happening last year like there's not even just an x's and o's thing yeah it's just like they were in so many tight games last year in the fourth quarter and they will have a bad bounce they were just in the mud yeah. in the mud bad bounce all this yeah. stuff and again it's one game and it's against the timberwolves you know, they've got one dog and a, and a bunch of cats. Shouts to cats in general. Oh, okay, a lot, a lot I, need, in the booth, I need to let everyone know. So I, I haven't watched a game alongside Will in a little while. And yeah. last night I was in the 590 booth. Don't talk the, about don't talk about the chair, bro. No, no that was a chair talk about the chair. I just, oh. I mean, I think everyone knows Will's chair reputation for like the reactions <laughs> during a game. But the amount that the two of you were meowing every time Carl Anthony Towns touched the ball was uh, ridiculous. We did hurt. not discuss this pre-show, Blake Murphy. I don't uh, see this on my printout. Derek, oh. hit the drop. I was secretly recording you, you guys meowing I can't the I can't whole believe game. Lee, I can't believe Lee Van Osman would do that every time Carl yeah. Anthony Towns had the ball. I can't believe his name's not Jakob because he Jakob Purr told to me of, of the, the way he played. No, okay, look, listen. Honestly, oh my goodness. Put, put that aside. That Please feeling, put that, <laughs> that like you just have to bottle it up because like Meow. that togetherness, that grouping of like being together, even dark on that moment, like you can see still such a coach, right? Because like we're celebrating, yes. but it's like, hey, we got to get better and we got to get better together. That's his whole message. It's been clear from mm -hmm. when he's come in. He's been building these bonds with the players. He's had, honestly, you go into practice, obviously you don't get to see everything, right? But they're like people in a gym. You get to see sort of how people operate. Darko was constantly... In this conversation here with an assistant coach, in this conversation with the player, sitting, you know, side by side in between Malachi Flynn and, and, and Jeff Down before he got cut. You know what I mean? Like off to the side. Like I didn't see one conversation with those two guys, <laughs> like, with the previous coaches. He is building these connections and, and you that's can what tell. you see that kind of celebration. Yeah, you can tell. You can and tell. It's just beautiful. Like if you can bottle that moment and mm -hmm. you can bottle that feeling and you carry that through and you do stick together even after losses. That's when you have a team that's really special, even beyond the talent, because we know that there's other things that we'll get into the rotations, all that kind of stuff. This guy didn't play. This guy didn't play, whatever. Like, OK, you can execute better here. But the overall feeling, that's what we kept talking about last year. They needed this. And I'm so happy they had that. As long as they can keep bottling it and keep moving forward with it, I'm, I'm very happy. And look, come the middle of April, all 82 games count the same, right? It, it doesn't really matter what order you win them in. It's how it's how many, not how and not when. But I do think for a team in this situation, 
it is there is an outsized importance to start the season with look the 4-0 preseason is one thing nobody I don't think anyone's getting too high on that but to have a win like this early in the season where you see the defensive vision you can hammer home that togetherness you can get some fourth quarter tape for Alex and for the rest of the team that you can really uh, pick at and highlight this is what we did well this is what we've been working on on defense you know the they, this didn't happen yesterday, but the the example of him grabbing Boucher and and kind of like yelling and celebrating with him in the one preseason game mm. because it was a defensive execution that they kept messing up in practice and they got it right in a game. Mm. And you can have these little examples early on. And look, how many how often they went over the course of the season is what is probably going to be the biggest indicator of everyone's overall happiness. But I do think it's really important to get wins like this early on because it helps you affirm this is the work we've put in this is my message and look now i can point to this this and this where it played out the way we've been hoping for and we won a game like like trust me let's keep working on it even if they lose on friday you can come back saturday and be like okay but it worked on wednesday and like let's stay yeah. together let's stay but and i i do think there is a an outsized importance on the early season performance here especially they start the season with a really difficult schedule if yeah, you could, right. like this is a minnesota team that some people are picking to be a top three seed in the west mm. i know they didn't mm. have mcdaniels yesterday I'm not a big believer in this Timberwolves vision generally, but like this is a team that has high expectations and you did that to them and held them to like 35% shooting. I, I think it is important to get off to, you don't have to start six and oh over these first nine games, but I think it's important to have a win like this to take one of the two off of Philly to have a good game against Milwaukee so that that buy-in is kind of, you know, everyone feels it right now, but it can really lock in if you get some positive examples like this of, hey, here's the vision and here's what it looks like working. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, you mentioned the defense too. And, you know, I want to talk about Scotty in a sec, but like, I mean, OG too, right? Like Ooh. you look at, like Anthony Edwards scored the first 10 points of the game, yep. um, I think for the Wolves. Like they were up 10-8 early. They had to call a timeout. And OG was talking after the game about he was playing a little, he felt like he was playing a little loose mm -hmm. on defense to start and he needed to lock in. But I mean, I mean, Will, I got two words for you. Three words, hmm. OG and Anobi, like, the the contribution on the offensive end and the defense yesterday, we talked about him. Like, is he going to be in top five defensive player of the year voting? Like, if this is the OG that we're going to get, like, every yeah, game this season. I want to hear that drop all and year, like, man. Like, listen, there's always going to be three awkward offensive possessions with OG, like, in every game. But, bro, you got to live if he plays defense I'm living, like that. Yeah. I'm living in it. That's and, a lesson it, to myself because yeah, I was yeah. definitely complaining. I'm actually, this is what I'm trying to tell you on yeah. air. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Um, live, you we, I'm happy to live with that if this is the OG that we're getting every game. Yeah, listen, um, we obviously know what OG can do defensively. Um, I think that for OG to even have that self-awareness to reflect and it's like, you know what? A couple of those plays were on him, right? He got caught up on a couple of screens by Rudy Gobert. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's how Ant got going. He got two open threes. He knocked those down. Then got downhill and he was making some shots. And honestly, it was actually Pascal who got the first stop on Ant before sort of OG really took control. And from that point onwards, I mean, like, we had a four-minute stretch there in the first quarter where Anthony Edwards hit, uh, what, two threes, uh, and then he got to the free throw line for four trips and he got another driving layup. So it was like, those are 12 points in four minutes. Like the rest of the way and the way that OG was clamping him was just like absurd to see. The thing is, Anthony Edwards, when you think about like the best athletes in the in terms of in the league, you know, has to be in the top 10 at minimum, right? For a guard, he is super quick. He's super strong. He obviously has the ability to shoot from three and the mid range and he goes all the way to the basket and obviously when he goes to the basket he can dunk on a, a guy like obviously we saw what happened to friend of the program Utah Watanabe back in the day right that's Anthony Edwards that's what he does right um 
he has that advantage over everybody that guards him. But in a case like OG, OG's actually stronger than him. OG's just as quick as him, which is kind of nuts defensively, right? I don't know if OG's as coordinated offensively, but defensively, his coordination and his balance and his footwork is absurd. Uh, after the adjustment that he made, he's like, okay, I got to get tighter to, to Ant. So after that one, Ant had no open jumpers because of how uh, OG and OB adjusted to him, can slide with him side to side, and then he's actually longer than Anthony Edwards. We're talking about one of the best athletes in the league, one of the best young scorers in the league, and OG just completely shot Like, he shot, what, 8 of 27 from the field? 4 think, of 20 inside the arc. 4 of 20 inside the arc. And the, the, the craziest stat to me, looking back on it, because I was thinking about, like, you know, Edwards really settled for a lot of jumpers, right? Especially he took 12 non-paint twos. Yeah, he had 11 mid-range jumpers, uh, and he shot 2 of 11 from those. Last night, the Raptors as a team only shot 7 mid-range jumpers as an entire team. And and when you shoot that many mid-range jumpers, it's because you actually have no other way to get your shot off. That's how good OG was really playing defense. So, I mean, OG was awesome, man. I think I gave him a second star, but he honestly wasn't contention for first. Yeah, I haven't listened to that yet. I'll try to catch up today. Yeah, he was, he was terrific. And your stat about uh, if Anthony Edwards shot 2 of 11 on mid-range shots, well, that means his other... Two point touches. He went two of nine on. So that was means he's two of nine in yeah. the paint. So I even mean, he got even too, even if sure. he got there, they were making sure there were bodies there. And I think look to Anthony Edwards' credit, not only did he hit threes in that game, he had fourteen rebounds, including five on the offensive glass. Yeah. Like like that is a that is an emerging star finding ways to impact the game, even when he's getting locked up a little bit. I yeah. I can appreciate that side of it. And I think if there was one thing from the Raptors defensively in general, is you got to clean up the offensive glass a little bit better. This is a huge team, but 16 offensive rebounds is is a lot. To yeah, give. there were a lot of tap outs. And, yeah, and that's where he got those offensive rebounds. It wasn't like he was crashing it. It was yep. like Gobert or Cat would like really win the post battle. And then, and then he's tap so it quick into yeah. the next thing, right? right it's right. not a oh the offensive rebound got tapped to me. Let's use this 14 seconds. It's like no, bang, I'm right into something. Yeah. Thing. But the Raptors and, and including OG did a good job. Hey, if you missed them on the glass, pick them up right away and, and make sure. So I, I was really impressed with OG's defense on Anthony Edwards. I think we saw in those closing lineups where it was Barnes, Siakam, Ananobi, and Achua all on the floor against that giant Timberwolves lineup. Um, you see some of the vision there with the switchability and stuff. Right. Like OG's biggest defensive possession of the game was probably the one on Rudy Gobert, yeah. where Gobert thought he had him sealed and gets that over the top pass, and OG. Don't say, don't say deflected. He stole it. He stole he, it. Yeah. He kind of reaches underneath as Gobert's trying to establish. He didn't front the post, but he he gets that hand underneath and takes the ball. So I mean, to have this game where we're raving about the job he did on Anthony Edwards, one of the most dynamic two guards in basketball, and oh, also he was guarding the center in clutch time. I, I think. I mean, we all know the deal with OG Ananobi, but it's he's midseason form defensively after those first four minutes. It's the same thing that he did last year on opening night because he did the same thing at Donovan Mitchell. You that's remember, right. he that's really right. put the clamps down Donovan Mitchell, and that's how the Raptors won opening night that night uh, a year ago. Um, but, I mean, like I think what's special, too, is, you know, him being on Gobert. The reason he's on Gobert is because the Raptors had that ability to switch down the stretch. And it was like, honestly, the fact that you're like, if you're Anthony Edwards and you're trying to, okay, I'm really struggling against OG as my primary defender. Let me run a screen, right? I got two great options, Rudy Gobert to run a screen with or Kyle Anthony Towns. And if the Raptors are like, cool, you run that screen with either of these guys, you're running with Cat, you got Scotty Barnes on you now. You run that with with uh, with with Gobert. You got Precious Achua on you now. There's no advantage. Sorry, yeah. those other guys are actually almost as good as OG on yeah. ball defensively, which is nuts to say. But he didn't have any advantage. That's why he had so many pull up jumpers last night because the Raptors did such a great job cutting off the paint, and the help was there in the in the lane as well. We get you can't discredit that, but man, honestly, the Raptors 
you know, we know they can be special defensively, you know, and, and we, we saw that last night. It's also how you end up with Kyle Anderson taking a, a lot of the playmaking duty share because there's only one release, and it's not even a soft spot defensively, mm-hmm. but you have to funnel this somewhere. And if you don't want to engage in those kind of switches, it's how it ends up where Kyle Anderson is, you know, your secondary creator on a team that has multiple offensive all-stars. And look, Kyle Anderson had a really good game. The Raptors didn't do a a terrific job on him. But if you are funneling possessions away from Anthony Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns to Kyle Anderson, that's a win for your defense before the the possession even starts, really. Yeah. Did you say Nihau to Kyle Anderson? No, I didn't. You didn't get a chance? I didn't run into him, no. All right. That's disappointing. I'll text it. That's really disappointing. I, I said idea how to him from the booth at the yeah. 600 level when uh, Kyle Anderson tried to take Scotty Barnes, of all people, off the dribble to the rack, and Scotty just swatted him so easily. I heard you say something else in Mandarin, to be honest, but let's I, leave uh, it. Well, I also Anyways, swear at him, but that was... No, I think the OG thing, I know you two uh, theater kid nerds, can one of you guys start keeping... We should keep a dossier of all this stuff that OG is doing this year. Like We should start tracking it, so then when we make our defensive year... Oh, I that's, year, what, that's what his agents are for, because when he asked for <laughs> $150 million in the offseason... Uh, no, I know OG's good on defense because i just like enjoy watching them play on that end like yeah. it's, it's like art um now you're getting me all hyped about it, the raptors it is like it is a funny thing like appreciating great defense because like if this were not a raptor game obviously you're tuning into a timberwolves game i think we would all agree we want to see anthony edwards cook right yeah. like that's yeah. the star attraction that's what you yeah. want to see but then it turns to like oh actually i want to see anthony edwards get mm. bottled up because yeah. like that is a fascinating athletic accomplishment it's a fascinating Mm -hmm. scheme accomplishment and there are probably only like a half dozen guys in basketball who can make anthony edwards feel that way for a quarter or two let alone for the last 44 minutes of a game no people Uh, all from the outside from like always are like oh why why the hell would the raptors not take whatever draft picks for ogn and ob why is he always like classified as like untouchable we call it the janky defense uh, sorry when you say other people do you mean me uh, (laughs) yeah probably but like but like it's like he survived the Kawhi leonard trade he survived you know all the way through to dame now it's also like it's it's part of and i know the team the term three and d came around because it was like hey we have to find some way to appreciate guys who are defensively minded and can knock down an open three but like the three and d classification i I think that's probably what people around the league see og ananobi as and in their heads like okay well that's like a pj tucker or robert covington that kind of thing and that has a certain market but there are levels to being a three and D guy. Right, when you right. knock down forty five percent of your corner threes for an entire season, and you're a defensive player of the year candidate, that is not the same three and D as a guy who is solid defensively and shoots thirty five percent on threes. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's the thing. It's like when I watch OGN and Obi on nights like last night, like I understand why the Raptors front office value him and see him yeah. the, the way that they do. Like I get it. Not I don't totally. want Dame no more. While we're well, on forget it. OG, before we pivot off, I, I know yeah. we were going defensive, but um, what did you guys think of OG Ananobi's offensive share last night? We had talked a little yeah. bit about how in the preseason, he was the guy whose usage came down the most in those preseason games. He got 13 field goal attempts off last night. He used 16 possessions when we include turnovers and free throws. Um, nine of those 13 shots will on threes and we saw him outside of the corners uh, a little bit more a i know there more. was one play early on that you you didn't love from og Bro, he came off the screen he was wide open because again like a lot of this game og is getting guarded by either mike conley uh or he was getting guarded by cat so mm-hmm. there's a mismatch either way either he could post <laughs> up mike conley uh or just shoot over the top of him or he can attack cat who honestly was so lazy defensively like Meow. there's like there's like dropping on defense and then there's just like Taking a, a cat nap they're, on defense, like you know? they're like, gonna be a top ten half court defense yeah. because they're huge. <laughs> what? <laughs> Holy Derek. 
Okay. Uh, they're going to be a top 10 half court defense because they're huge and like they'll get McDaniels back and they'll look a bit, a little bit better than that. Yeah, yeah, but sure. didn't it really feel like their entire defense's defensive philosophy is like, we're just really big. It felt like if the Raptors just took their time and didn't rush to the basket and, and force up a shot there, they could have a really, really good night. And that's why I think offensively they could do even better. But yeah, to your point about OG, definitely got a lot more threes at the top of the floor. And I think one of the things that's interesting too is just like, A, the pull-up threes were interesting. But for me, watching the end of the game, OG got to the point where he was such a good shooter where for that closing group, there's a play, as you mentioned um, earlier on, where OG is coming around a baseline cut and then there's like two screens staggered for him to receive the ball coming towards the top and uh when he makes this play first off like the Timberwolves are really really trying to react to him because he's been such a good shooter they didn't even curl it properly like you're supposed to run that play for him to be catching it at the three rather than at the mid-range but he caught it at the mid-range and then like went up for the shot fake right and Gobert is like selling out he's like oh my god it's OJ I know he's been hitting all these jumpers so he like left the paint to cold close out and then OG uses that moment to throw a high low pass to Jenna Schroeder, who was able to catch it, put up a little short floater, and that put the Raptors up six with two minutes left. A, that's really good playmaking by OG, but also B, that's like, that's an, another way to use OG, especially when you establish him so well as a shooter. All of a sudden, he's coming off of screens and forcing like actual rotations to happen, and that's how you can get more play creation. The less dribbling, the more three-point shooting, and honestly, from that, you can get so much. Plus, obviously, he's great in transition as well. So he had a super efficient night, and it never really felt like he dominated the ball. That's that's a really good sign. And he did. He mentioned after the game, he got asked, have you been working on that kind of like, hey, you're coming up to the top, you're flaring up, and it's a one dribble around a screen. It's not really a pull-up in the way that, hey, you're going to dribble your, out your guy and then pull up. But that one extra dribble to create a little space, it's something that yeah, you sure. know we, we, we identify more with like, like traditional off-ball shooters like a Redick, like a Gary Trent Jr., that one hit ahead. But just to clear that little extra space, especially yeah. like Minnesota went under everything except against Gary all game. Yeah. And that one little dribble just to say, like you have the time to do that, to create space off the screen if they're going under. They're not going to be able to, especially if Conley's your man or whatever, yeah, yeah. like he's not going to be able to close out effectively. So I, I like that little addition. Um, You know, Gary obviously didn't, shoot particularly well in this one but I didn't he, buy the shots that he took though no he and yeah. and like the, if if they're going to be conservative and they were more aggressive against Gary's actions than, than the right, other actions right. but you know if OG can establish himself as a shooter enough where you can use some of that Gary package for him um and, and you can you know utilize it and, and defenses react to it like they did on that shooter high low um yeah it opens up a little bit for for an offensive starting five that as good as that group was and they won their minutes, uh, they only scored a point per possession as a, as a five-man unit. Right. Yeah, let's um, let's take a break. When we come back, we still have plenty to talk about from this game. I want to dive into Scotty Barnes a little bit. Uh, you know, some of the rotation decisions, clo uh, closing lineups, and uh, Alex will explain why he was rooting for Bobby Webster to be at Real Sports after the game. <laughs> okay, we're going to take that break. I've been your host, Will. You've been listening to The Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Big opinions and in-depth conversations covering the Leafs, Jays, Raptors, and the NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptors Show on the Sports Radio Network. I'm your host, Wayne Lou. Joined by producer and co-host Blake Murphy and Alex. I guess Alex is the producer, but you're both my co-hosts. Uh, we're talking about the win last night. It was uh, so fun that we actually had to take a quick break because we wanted to give proper spacing for Scotty. The discussion around him, five blocks last night, two steals. Uh, you know, the discussion around Dennis uh, Schroeder, some rotation pieces, 
It's lots to talk about, man. I'm sorry. Around the NBA might have to wait, man. I'm focused on what's happening here in Toronto. Around the NBA is the fourth segment anyway. This oh. isn't around the NBA segment. Blake, 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 by now so. you should know by week two, this guy does not look at the document. Yeah. That is why last week he's like, what are your locks, guys? And I'm like, my brother, that's a sponsored segment at the end. With no pen, just drawn off inspiration, Shin. I, <laughs> did you speak Chinese at the end? <laughs> no, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why he said Shin. Uh, I guess no one's going to team me up for my book event tonight. Thanks. Uh, I mean, I have it sitting right here. Uh, wow, what is a, that? A good chunk of the way into prehistoric. Like, we are all going to the Goal Ring Center at UFT tonight to celebrate myself and the release of prehistoric. $10 tickets are still available. Wow, is there a graphic? Um, but ten, only at the box office, right? At only the box at the office, physical box yeah, office. So now. online tickets are now closed. We're expecting around 500 people there tonight. Mm. And food is going to be served. going to be some fun panels. I just finished writing my opening remarks. Mm. A, lot of, a lot of people from the basketball community in this city is going to be there, including the three of us. So if you want tickets, pull up at 5.30 to 6 p.m. The box office is right outside the Gold Ring Center. I finally figured out what this event is. It's it's Alex's wedding to himself. Yep, I will kiss so a mirror tonight. Please make sure you dress accordingly. You're going to do yeah. the A-Rod? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Don't cry during my opening remarks. Just don't cry, guys. That's all I'm telling you. All right. Um. Anyways, back to the Raptors, kind of. So last night, um, I was really stressed during the game because, um, as everybody knows, uh, the Raptors official YouTube has a Raptors Tonight program. Yes. <laughs> where after the game, you know, uh, friends of the program, like Sherman Hamilton... People from the other network we can't mention, um, you know, Paul Jones mm. will sit down with Randy Urban to talk about it. Right. And they were actually gracious enough to say that, hey, uh, we want to help you promote your book, Prehistoric. Right. But there's a caveat is what Randy told me. <laughs> yeah, what was the deal? Was so the deal? once again, I'm the second Asian, uh, as I am on this show, um, is that Bobby Webster had agreed to do the program on opening night what? if the Raptors won. Yeah. If they lost, I would do it. <laughs> And in that scenario, if Bobby bumped me, I'm doing it now on Saturday after the Nick Nurse game. So you don't understand in that booth. Yeah. Um, like it, was, I, it was uncut gems in that booth. I did right? not. I was KG, but you were Adam Sandler somehow. I did not want to do um, the promo yesterday. I'd rather just do it on Saturday. So I did yeah. not want the Wolves to win. And that was a stressful game for me. Mm. But anyways, we can flow that into the fact that I know, you know, you guys want to talk about some stuff. You know what? Let's start with Scotty first. Yeah, let's start with Scotty. Scotty. Right? 17.6 of 16 shooting. You know, one of the things I want to ask you guys about, maybe I'll start with you, Blake, is that as much as I'm looking at his offensive game this year, I want to see what he's bringing on defense as well. Like, which end of the floor do you want to start with about Scotty last night? I would prefer to start on the defensive end, and that's mm -hmm. just coming off a win. I want to focus on the most positive thing. And there were a couple blips at times, possessions that weren't finished or whatever. But I thought for the most part, we saw why it was exciting in the preseason to see Scotty in a slightly different Defensive role, playing in the lower half of the defensive floor, being around the paint and the rim a lot more often. I thought he was really, really effective using his length, uh, especially in help, but also just anytime anyone got a foot in the paint, he was around there. He finished with, I think, five blocks and two steals. Yep. So obviously very active hands, very active length. Um, you know, some of the, the here's the thing about OG being so switchy and Precious being so switchy and Pascal being so switchy. If, if one guy is really switchy, someone else has to be too because there's mm. two people to a switch. Yes. Scotty Barnes was actually statistically a slightly more... He was the switchiest defender in all of basketball last year right. um, based on NBA.com's estimates of who guarded what position for what possession. OG was second, so obviously it's those two switching, uh, switching a lot. I thought that was on display last night, but to, uh, to what we've talked about in the preseason... I don't really, he, he's fine. He's, he can be effective out on the perimeter, but that's not really where, where I see Scotty's 
best strengths right now and not really where I think he's leveraged best. So seeing a game where he was much more around the paint, much more in the lower part of the floor, um, being super, super active in, in those scenarios, recovering well out of them, uh, I, I was really encouraged. The, the odd play, I, I know we kind of pulled our hair a couple times just not finishing a possession or whatever. I think those are just, you know, the the things of youth and early season. Just, you know, it's it's you got to play the full 24 seconds. But I thought... 90% of his defensive yeah, possessions yeah. Were, were really, really strong. No, in terms of defensive effort, like, here's the thing. Like, the workload for what Scotty had to do on both ends of the floor last night was arguably the most out of anybody on both sides. He had to really play both ends of the floor. And so there were lots of moments where I thought, okay, a little bit of exhaustion here, like a little bit late on a closeout, or like hands down on a closeout against, like, Cat, for example. You Led know, the team in minutes, too. Led the team in minutes, played 37 minutes. So that's – and obviously this is the first game of the season, too. So, like – you were going to see some exhaustion. You did see a lot of, like, uh, protesting to officials, which I think as a, is a product of being tired as well. But, I mean, in terms of overall energy and, you know, that he had to actually expend, I mean, he definitely traveled more distance than any other player last night. And I think it was interesting, too, because you're not going to always see this kind of um, defensive production in terms of, like, the five, uh, five blocks and two steals. But it really does in this kind of matchup where he can sort of play more off-ball um, and make that decision. And I think that part of the thing with Scotty is, he it, to me it seems like he's better when he can see all the action coming towards him. So that's someone on the baselines, that's someone playing center, that's someone playing in the corners even, or even on the wing. But you can see the action coming towards you versus like if you're guarding on the ball and then you're chasing the ball afterwards, then all of a sudden you're looking down towards sort of the you're saying the same perspective as almost the opponents as well. And I think that in this case, Scotty timed his blocks really well and the transition was was great uh, and the hustle was great. On top of the fact that he also had to guard Cat, like Cat also was eight of twenty five. When we're talking about another really, really great mm-hmm. score, right? So I think he did a really great job of sort of like, you know, sliding with him. Um, there were a lot of possessions where like Precious also took the assignment or, or or Pascal took the assignment or whatever. But in general, there was a lot of him playing great defense on that front too. So I just got to say like the, the, the two-way effort because on top of having to make all these rotations and guard a really tough cover, in transition, the way Scotty was pushing, the way he was finishing in transition – even something to have the really the presence of mind, right? Like end of the game there. I know he like likes to look back and like taunt the guy, but it's <laughs> actually a really smart move to kill some time off the clock when you have a guaranteed dunk. Wait for the catch up to you and then dunk the ball. But he was taunting. He was not. It was a thinking it was, clock. It was both. It was both. <laughs> no, it was, no, he was uh, no, that was a Bobby Heenan. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna taunt. <laughs> For the team, for the win. He was, I mean, just, oh. he was just taunting. No, that was perfect. And another time, the like, shot clock awareness was 0.3 seconds after the Wolves hit a random three, and it was like, whatever. I mean, the game was pretty much over, but Precious was walking away from the ball, and it was like, Scotty had the right to get this to be in. Like, Let's just do a quick inbound, get anybody in a safe pair of hands, the game's over, right? You, you cut out any, eliminate, like, you eliminate any sort of possibility where you somehow force overtime. And it was Scotty who, like, after playing 37 minutes, after doing all this, sprints out of bounds for the quick inbound to Pascal, and that actually ended the game. Even something like that, his mind works really smart, in, in, even though he's really tired in this game. So I was just really impressed overall. Yeah, and just to your uh, just to your point about the the workload, he was second to OG Ananobi in shots contested. So how many of the the shots that went up were you guarding? He had three deflections, which was second only to uh, only to OG's four. And then he led the OG's team. OG's like the Asian kid in your class, winning every proficient. <laughs> yeah, what happened to the other two percent on your on your test? Uh, and then yeah. Scotty Barnes led the team in offensive touches as well. So like it's right, not yeah, yeah. it's not just a field goal attempt or or it looked like Scotty was the most involved. He had the ball in his hands more often than anyone else on the Raptors which was surprising to see because, yeah, he played four and a half more minutes than Schroeder, but it really did feel like Schroeder had the ball uh, right. a boatload. They they were dead even uh, in touches at the at the top of the team. Yeah. Yeah, what did you guys think of Dennis Schroeder's 
performance last night. Bro, he was awesome. Um, I think, especially in this game, they needed perimeter playmaking, right? Because mm-hmm. you had Pascal who was struggling. Um, I actually thought he actually got some decent shots. I'm going to talk to David Thorpe about this actually after the next break. Um, so we'll say that discussion there. But you didn't have a lot of great half-court scoring from Pascal. You didn't really have it from Scotty either. Right? Mm-hmm. Most of those guys got their looks in transition or maybe catch-and-shoot threes. You needed somebody to actually generate offense. And I was really impressed with Dennis um, being able to come around screens, work that pick and roll, but also to look to, uh, look for the opportunities to score. I mean, a couple times in the third quarter when he was matched up against Nikhil, um, Nikhil's a really good defender. You know, 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, you know, great quickness. Um, you know, and, and he's just like... Somebody it would be really difficult for, uh, let's say, the past previous starting point guard to drive around and score and at the basket, mm. right? And Dennis, twice in a row in the third quarter, saw that Nikhil was sort of like looking off ball in terms of like, okay, what's the off ball action? First off, the Raptors actually running off ball action to distract him, already first. Yeah. And then Dennis sees that, rips through, just goes straight to the basket. And that quickness, that, that separation, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's, it's big. Obviously, the three point shooting is, is something that's more come and uh, go, but. Overall, but even if that awesome. four for eight settles in at three for eight, that's 37.5%, right? Like, that would be ma- a massive development for a guy who's yeah. topped out at 35%. It does, Yeah, I guess he really has topped out at 35%. I mean, look, there'll be games where he obviously will be a little frustrating that he's not really hitting. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I like the way he was running the offense. Him and Pascal with that little two-man game, the pick-and-pop action, because yeah. of the fact that the Raptors went small, it was Gobert covering um, Pascal. So Pascal was like, all right, this guy's not going to leave the paint. So I pick-and-pop. I'm going to be open for threes. That's how he got some threes. That's how he also got Dennis an open three as well. And that's how Schroeder ends up with a, a team-high seven assists. I, I, yeah. I would say the only real negative I had on Dennis Schroeder, and this is small sample and, and a product of them not having a lot of spacing, um, when they did go to a more traditional pick and roll, he was one for five with a turnover. Um, that is something that they're going to rely on him for. And, you know, you can't, you can't only do dribble handoffs. You're going to run some actual pick and roll. Oh, we'll see. Um, but again, that that might be more a product of the lack of space to uh, to navigate yeah. within there. And but, the matchup too. Yeah, and it's just like it's a small sample too, but it was one thing in my notes that like, yeah, it didn't really look like any time the Raptors ran a pick and roll, they, they got much at all. You know, the pick and pop certainly more effective. Yeah, well, I mean, it was a little difficult for Jakob to roll into two seven-footers. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a, again, the Timberwolves' entire defensive philosophy of right. if we're just like in the way you're not going to score as much. Yeah, guys, I'm working personally to try to get Dennis Schroeder on the show to okay. talk to you guys, okay? We should, honestly. I'm, I'm still working he's, on uh, it. He is uh, yeah. a good speaker, too. Yeah, I'm speaking to him personally. Also, he's got to get ready for uh, the winter here because it was like 17, 18 degrees here yesterday, and he was bundled up after the game. Mm. It is going mm. to be a harsh December and January if you are that bundled up. Although our pal Louis Zatzman from Raptors Republic showed up in the the bulkiest knit. The knit world's toque. giantest toque. Yeah. I was looking down on media roll. It like, looked like Kyle that? Lowry showing up with the giant Eagles hat after an Eagles win to practice, but a toque version. Yeah. I'm waiting for the segment to turn into a big head joke from my side. Uh, yeah. It hasn't. So I, I can't, appreciate both I of you. I cannot cast aspersions about having a large do you head have a big, when, do now you, that we're on camera. Do you have a big head too? I have a pretty big head. Do yeah. people consider you to be, to be a big head? If I'm not on screen with Will, yes. Do the people come up to you and say, hey, big head? No. Okay, because that, that's what happens <laughs> with me. Uh, what was I going to say about this? Nothing. Yeah, I mean, with Dennis, I think it's also, honestly, the puffer is a look, too. You don't understand. It's not for the warmth. Oh. It's a look, too. All and right? now it's time for a Will Lou style guy. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Tell him what you're wearing tonight, brother. Uh, you know, a little Jeff Hamilton OVO collaboration. I've know, got it right here in my Raptor bag. Literally. <laughs> you, <laughs> you with your jacket for later. <laughs> oh, my God. Great drop. <laughs> Anyways, uh, Darko's talked a lot about going 10 deep. Um, what did you guys make of the rotation last night? Obviously, no Chris Boucher. Mm-hmm. And Darko did talk a little bit about it afterwards that he had sat down with Chris. 
and I talked to him about it. And then Chris is a huge part of the team. Um, and obviously he'll be in there during the season. Jalen McDaniels and, and Precious Achua were there. So what did you guys make of all that? I mean, I think first first of all, it was really a nine-man rotation. Grady Dick had a one stint that I think was about 90 seconds long. It was the Jody Meeks yeah. Memorial. Oh, God. Hey, try to hit a three in, at the end of the second quarter. I mean, two uh, minutes of Dick, it happens. <laughs> Come on, man. Oh, God. <laughs> Come on, man. He did have an assist in those minutes and, and a foul. But, um, yeah, I mean, this looked more like a nine-man rotation. And I think, if anything, that I took from this, you know, we could talk about the Boucher decision, but um, are you still laughing at your own joke? <laughs> Sorry, I was trying not to at first. Sorry. <laughs> um, I think you just see how hard it is to work in more than nine guys in a game that's close because yeah, yeah, you're not going to go to a five-man bench unit. Like, I, I know we experienced the bench mom here. That was only the second time in – league history as far as we have lineup data for where a team ran a five-man bench unit any amount of minutes that it was successful the Clippers had done it once before um, but that's basically it you can't get away with five bench guys at once especially right. you know there's a pretty big contrast in talent level between the Raptors starters and, and their their bench pieces right now um, so I think you saw a little bit how, how tough it is to go 10 deep let alone you know we were getting a lot of questions after the game where was Chris Boucher where was Otto Porter where was Thad Young um, McDaniels and Achua being ahead of those guys for right now um, that that could be fluid, but I I, I don't know that it's going to go deeper than this. Well, mm. yeah, I mean, ideally, it definitely felt like you needed a little bit more guard play, um, especially in this matchup, right? If Dennis didn't go off for twenty two points, I mean, I think we lose the game, right? Because there was actually no backup guard play, and I, that's why it was interesting because I was I was watching Bobby Webster turn down a, a taco pizza on 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 Raptors tonight and he did speak about uh, Malachi Flynn and sort of expectations there with him so let's let's run that clip he's got to be a pest on defense right I mean his size he just has to be you know if he wants to pick up full court um he's dig digging on the bigs but he's got to be a pest and then on the offensive end he's got to make shots and he's got to make quick decisions so it's good to see the three ball go down and then as you know you know makes a couple three balls that opens up the drive because he is quick and he can get to the rim um so yeah you know mainly that defensive kind of you know, Dennis does it well, and so if he takes a little bit after Dennis and then makes shots on the offensive end. So, so the, Bobby's basically wants Malachi to be like a Matthew Della Vadova. I would type off the bench. Be thrilled if he turned into a Matthew Della Vadova level of production off a of player. Seriously, like I'd be thrilled. No, I'm exactly with you. This is why I talked about yesterday. My huge concern is at that backup point guard position. Yeah, not enough bed bugs on the, <laughs> on the Toronto <laughs> Raptors. Pass you drink six coffees like Matthew Della Vadova. Like Darko just got invited yeah. to espresso time. I know we've talked about this for like years now, but it's like, can we please just find a competent point guard? Off the bench. And, and look, this is going to be a tough thing because, again, to, to get back to who wasn't in the rotation, a lot of the response last night when I, you know, people would ask and I would reply or I tweeted out Darko's quote about Boucher and people were, were responding, well, what about Malachi Flynn's minutes? Like, okay, but Chris Boucher isn't a point guard. And if you have three forwards and Gary Trent on the floor with Scotty Barnes, like all these spacing issues that we're talking about are going to be magnified even more. So, yeah. Will, I'm curious. I, I, Alex, I know it's a big picture concern for you. Will, what is your appetite for Malachi Flynn to figure this out? Darko sounded after yeah. the game, like actually before the game, he kind of said, yeah, we're going to be patient with guys. We're not yeah. going to make herky-jerky rotation changes. You, you got to be patient and give guys time. Um, but I don't know, Except man. It, that, that feels like a tenuous position in the rotation yeah. and i don't know that the answer is well throw another forward at it as the ninth right, man right exactly because again you do need that diversity of skill set like the answer to everything is not another six nine forward uh despite what the front office will do with the roster but, but what like, if it is but it isn't <laughs> to be clear it isn't all right um no I, I think with malachi look the track record isn't that strong but they are giving him this chance and you can't really just say after one game the chances in there 
I think for me, you got to just look at it really, really straightforward, right? What were some of the things you didn't do well last night? What were some of the things you could do better? I liked how he relocated for that three, knocked it down. That was nice. Um, I, I liked that he set up Scotty for a little bounce pass of transition. We're talking about bare basics here, but that, that got to him for an I mean, assist. A and, lot of times for a backup point guard who's going to play 12, 15 minutes, yes. you just need the basics, just don't, man. Here's the thing. Just with, with, with Malachi, just come in here and don't ruin the vibe. You know what I mean? Like the vibe of the yeah. team was really, really strong last and, night. And defensively, and, like you could be a pass, right. but he also, he had four fouls in 10 minutes and two of those were like not necessary fouls. They were right. they were not fouls of like trying to do too much. They were careless ones. I think to me, sometimes when I watch him, there's such a nervousness to his game. Um, I feel like he's a little bit afraid to get physical. I feel, sometimes I feel like he's a little afraid to like really look, call his own number. And listen, as a backup guard, it doesn't even matter if you're a backup. Sometimes you really do have to make a play out of nothing, right? That's such a big part of being a guard at any level. Um, it's just how, you know, how basketball works, especially when plays break down. Five, six seconds left, you got to do something with it. You know, we had a situation last night where he had a switch against Rudy Gobert. And that's first off, that's already a win. You got Rudy Gobert now being occupied by a guard on the perimeter. That means the pain is open, right? At that point, your job as a point guard is to get the ball to another player who can then attack that mismatch. And if they choose to rotate, if Gobert helps off, you get open for the three. Very, very basic stuff. But he tries to take Gobert off the dribble, draws help. He's like, okay, I've actually done the right job. But then he throws the pass, but he gets picked up by Kyle Anderson, and instead they go the other way on the fast break, and uh, Malachi has a hard foul, Nas Reed in transition. Just got to keep it simple. These are things that he can do, but I th- it just feels like sometimes he like either overdoes it or is afraid to overdo it. And so it's not going to happen overnight, and, and maybe even the payoff isn't that great, but at least they're rolling with him right now. And without other real point guard options on the roster – you got you to gotta stick with it, at least until they make roster changes. And in addition to that play, I think there's another piece of film they could sit down with them with today. There's one, I don't remember exactly when it was, but the ball swings to them. It's it's maybe like the fourth action in the sequence. Like they're running through their motion set. It, right. They're not creating anything, but at le- it at least looks good. They know what the next read is. They're, they're maintaining a small advantage, and it swings to them on the left wing, and he hesitates, and the defense gets the reset. Yep. And then you're kind That's of it. starting the possession again with like seven seconds left on the shot clock, and the small advantage that you you know you had to grind to create that over 17 seconds is gone now mm-hmm. and that's you know I I don't like Malachi what was interesting about him as a college prospect was very much a slow it down pick and roll point guard right. and so this is going to be you know Nick Nurse's system was a challenge for him defensively I think offensively this point five style is a a style that is atypical for him in, in terms of what he's comfortable with and what he's trying to do hey, naturally. Listen, so man, we're not going to change the we're not going to change the team for Malachi. You no, know that's what I mean. What so. I mean. Is like you, you've got to be more decisive with that. And um, yeah, I thought those two examples stood out. And, and again, not to pick on a guy, but it was uh, a mostly I mean, positive night. Him, and they they won by three, and they lost his ten minutes by fourteen points. That's not all that's on tough. him, that's but that's tough. a really tough yeah. performance yeah. for a, a bench group overall. I just I don't even think we're picking on him. There's a glaring hole in the roster. Right. There's a glaring hole in the roster, and I don't I don't want to have that glaring hole. You know, if I know that there's so many talented guys on this team, uh, I think I'm confident in the starting lineup. I like a lot of the bench pieces. Mm-hmm. You need a guy to to yeah, run the second. Short. You're right. Yeah, You're and right. it's like, well, even when you said like this is not going to happen overnight, it's like, what year is this for Malachi? Year four. Four. Yeah, it's like, what have we seen? from those four years to tell you that, like, something's going to pan out? Like, have we not seen enough? I mean, the the small sample three-point shooting is, I think, the thing you're hanging on to offensively is, like, maybe he could be a guy mm-hmm. who gives you shooting in those bench units, and that probably requires him being more of an off-ball guy in those groups. But then someone's... If you're putting the ball in someone else's hands in those units, then you're implicitly saying, well, we could use someone else in those spots because right. they, most of the argument for Flynn being in those groups is the ball in his hand. Yeah, I just want to end on a positive. Uh, Bobby also gave uh, his thoughts on Precious Achua um, that I thought were quite telling, too. So let's run that clip, too. 
So I said I talked with him yesterday. I think it's just consistency, right? I mean, there were games last year where he played 35, 40 minutes, and he played four or five minutes, and um, he'd make mistakes, or he, you know, he wouldn't be able to kind of put together a, a stretch. And I think that's it. And it's not fancy. It's not one-on-one. -on -one, it's not you know make the spectacular play. It's be really strong on the boards. You know, protect the paint. Um, if the shot's there, take it. If not, make the right play. And I think you know it was a step in the right direction tonight from Precious. Rebound, defend, make the right play. Yeah, don't force that's, one that's, on one. That's his live, laugh, love, man. That's what he needs to bring to the floor. Every no, game. but it's actually like that's that's really it. And <laughs> yeah. I thought Precious did a really good job. There's one possession where he forced it and turned it out over. over and the but... one funny post up where he got stuck in the glitch. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, he, he really got to the spot and tried to make a move, but he just made the same move four times. Um, no, but really quick, like I, I thought it was a really nice game for Precious, and I think it showcased like, like he had a real reason to close the game. Yeah, absolutely. And they tried to get Jakob Pertl in with a little bit over three yeah. minutes left. The break and play didn't come, but then Precious was so effective defensively. And, and you know, I, I am very, very high on the defensive upside with him. I don't think they need to ask him to do very much offensively, even last night, like going going four for nine. Like that's that's fine. You'd like the finishing to be a tiny bit better, but um, that's enough. And, and he tipped out a couple of offensive rebounds as well. So um, you know, focusing in. On, on excelling in a not a narrow role but a not the hugest role on the team is going to do precious well yeah for sure great win honestly the vibes on this show night and day all right we're going to take a quick break i've been your host Willu. you've been listening to the raptor show on the sports Night radio network the best blue jay show out there period Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on apple spotify or wherever you get your podcasts Welcome back to the Raptor Show on the Sports Radio Network. I'm your host, Wayne Lou. This NBA Insider is presented by Coors Light. Go from full time to game time. Coors Light made to chill. Joining us on the program, friend of the program, David Thorpe of True Hoop. Um, David, you know, we have always, when we have you on the show, we ask you about two things. And then we, we ask about other things as well. We always ask you about Pascal and Scotty. Um, but, you know, welcome back to the show. And, and thanks for helping us for a, a third straight season, David. My pleasure. All right. So last night, Raptors beat the Timberwolves. Uh, neither team looked that great offensively. Um, I kind of just wanted to start with um, we, we talked so much about the defensive end in the first hour here. But uh, on the offensive end, did you see anything from Pascal Siakam in terms of just his approach to the game? Because 5 of 17 is quite rare for him. I think even more rare is that he had a game where he made more threes than twos. That's the first time he's done that since uh, last year, actually, October 26th. So obviously he's a guy who's typically thriving in the mid-range and the elbow extended, the second box as you like to talk about. He's great in those areas, but we didn't really see that last night. Um, so I, I wanted to hear your thoughts on, you know, his uh, offensive performance. I mean, I wrote, oh, maybe just just a few days ago that I thought Minnesota could have end up having the best defense in the league, although they need Jaden McDaniels for that to happen. <laughs> And, and he didn't play. With, with him, I think they can be the, the elite of the elite defensively mm. this year. Uh, still, they, they play ten, two seven-footers a lot and a really long 6'9", 6'10 guy in Kyle Anderson. And they pack the paint pretty good. I, I don't think Toronto yet knows how to play offense. Um, it's different than what they've, they've got. They've got a little bit of the vestigial tale of, of, of Nick Nurse's team, where they're still going to race and run and and um, and bully you some. They're moving the ball better, I thought. They seem to be more willing to to pass, but um, they don't really have a clue yet offensively, I don't think. But the players aren't really sure what to do. The coaches, have, you know, they barely would have had 10 practices, whatever the number is, it's small. 
Uh, Darko needs a chance to kind of figure out how best to utilize all of his guys. So in, in that context, the game, when I watched, I thought Pascal went to the rim a little too much mm. with Rudy Gobert sitting there. The challenge you guys have is you have a center that can't score outside 11 inches. And so, and he's not a real vertical guy, although he certainly can jump and dunk. And so against Minnesota, uh, uh, Pirtle is, is a problem and so, to some degree. Maybe that's why he didn't play the, near the end at all, which I actually thought that was kind of weird. But, um, I mean, are paying him a lot of money. Um and so the crowd was in the paint a lot. And I don't think they they know yet how to utilize him at the elbow as much as they should. I actually think he and Scotty should play a lot more from the elbow, the joker elbow, I call it now, <laughs> where they're just one step away from the rim and every pass is a one quick pass away. Uh, I, I'm sure he wants to get downhill more. I thought he got open a couple of times in transition. They didn't find him. Uh, and so... He was fine. I, what do you have? Six assists. Mm-hmm. I thought he moved the ball well, and um, it was game one. I, I just did my podcast a little earlier. You know, there's a whole, there's not a lot I would take from any game, anyone in game one, other than maybe how terrible the Wizards competed. But that's a whole other story. <laughs> yeah, uh, 140 plus on opening yeah. night. Yeah, yeah. Well, they yeah, set the tone for not... this. They set the yeah. tone for the season. People know what to expect with them. I mean, come on. Yeah, and, and hey, at least it was Andrew Nembard, one of one of our guys. Yeah, he getting, looked, he looked uh, awesome. Yeah, looking terrific. Great, great player. Uh, so, coach, um, you know, a, a lot of what you laid out is stuff that it's going to take a little bit, of, a little bit of time for the Raptors to figure out here offensively. But they are going to see another couple of very large, very long teams in the next little bit here. They've got six games in nine days to start. Two of those are against Philly. They've got Milwaukee in there. They've got Wemby in there. Chicago, who you know you uses their their length well defensively. If you're Pascal Siakam and you went 0 for 8 within 13 feet other than those two transition baskets, um, you know, I know you said you didn't want him to go in the paint against Gobert quite as much. What are some counter things he can do other than just, you know, pull up for the 17-footer? Um, can he get to kind of that floater range package a little more effectively if these teams are dropping to pack the paint? You know, I was talking to some friends of Pascal's uh, this summer. I don't really remember much of his early career, but but apparently he had a really good floater game, and I mm-hmm. do think that's something. With the presence of Pirtle, uh, uh, he's got to get. He's got. It would be good for him to get that Scotty too, because, like I said, that first box is going to be super crowded, and, and just and Pirtle's inability to, to you know, jump to twelve feet like like Derek Lively, uh, the rookie from uh, for Dallas now from Duke who, who can. That would help a lot, but he can't do that. I, and I love Pirtle, by the way. I thought that was a great get to get him in the first place. Uh, so I think that's a good idea. Uh, a lot of teams don't love, you know, they call it a mid-range. To me, a mid-range is outside the paint. That's why I call it first box, second box. The first box is the first eight feet of the paint where the rim is. Um, uh, finding him ceiling and transition. The one thing about both Pascal and Scotty, I feel like they're big men in many ways that can really bully other wings and guards and they can play in the wing themselves. So you, you have to be relentless in looking for those guys when they have a chance to bully a player. And the, the example I give is if you go under a Damian Lillard ball screen within range, 25, 28, 30 feet, whatever, he's going to shoot it every single time. Every single time he's not going to miss a beat. I feel it's the same thing about these the, the big power wings, of which Toronto has a few, that can bully wings and guards in this league. But every time you don't throw it to them, when they have that advantage, and I mean inside, not outside, mm-hmm. inside, they've got to get there, they've got to seal, and you've got to look for them. It's like Lillard not shooting that three, which would be a mistake. 
And so, so the one flaw in Toronto's team that I see so far is it seems like you've got some guys willing to pass, and certainly Scotty and Pascal last night, Schroeder did, although I don't think he, he's not the most willing guard, literally, when you, when you watch him play as a passer. He did a decent job last night. I, I don't think they're accurate passers. In fact, I thought particularly Pascal and Scotty did not throw accurate passes last night. I like, I like hyper-accurate passers. You mentioned Andrew Nemhard. His teammate Tyrese Halliburton also had a double-double. Those guys are hyper-accurate passers, not just willing ones. But that also comes with time, fellas, as they get used to the system, get, they get a better feel for where they're supposed to be at all times. And you're, you're, you're supposed to see the future a second or two in advance a lot of times. Uh, Denver has that advantage with, with the same five guys now for quite a while. Kind of, you know, Jokic reads the game faster than anyone, so he can see the future a little bit better than most. But that's going to come for Toronto's guys, too. And I think Scotty and Pascal both have that ability to see the future a little bit. They just got to be better at, at throwing those super hyper-accurate passes. And that'll also be helped when they just, you know, get to know each other better and learn to take advantage of where their strengths are and avoid where they're, where they're weakest at. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point about the accuracy of the passing because I thought Minnesota had an even bigger issue with that last night. So many times yeah. they would have Goldbear in a prime position against a smaller player, Cat in prime position, or they're running up ahead and play – and they would just like overcook the pass or they would throw it where Gobert has to catch it down low. And the Raptors not saying did such a great job. Every time Gobert brought it down low, they stripped it. They attacked. Yep. And even if they gave up a foul, it's, it's okay. That's the tone they're going to set for that specific matchup. Cat, I think he just missed a whole bunch of threes that he was actually fairly open on. But um, yeah, that is a big part of the game there for them too. I think um, what's encouraging is that that transition point that you're mentioning. And I was, I was reading your, uh, your, your preseason sort of um, takeaways. And, you know, what you wrote was, you know, Barnes and Siakam are not only willing but gifted passers, but also sprinters who can lead breaks and or fill lanes in transition. They both create size mismatches in early offense and will, quote, get big at the rim. And I did feel like, especially last night, watching against Minnesota, who run at least two seven-footers out there at all times, the Raptors could just always run ahead of the opposition. And I think that just gives them such a high baseline in terms of, okay, their half-court offense will need time to improve and, you know, build that identity, as you mentioned, but that baseline is there to supplement a lot of it because of their unique advantages in transition to run. Well, and right now the team is not loaded with shooters. It's just the opposite. Mm. Uh, although I did feel like it's funny you mentioned um, uh, Siakam's threes to twos. That's the best I've ever seen him shoot the ball, uh, makes or misses. I'm a, As someone who's been teaching shooting <laughs> longer than you guys have been alive, that's for sure. Uh, I, I evaluate misses as much as I, I look at makes. Mm. The guys that are always around the rim, they tend not to go on long miss streaks, and that's really where you find lots of problems with your shooters. And so I thought that um, Pascal's two misses were in and out. So we went three for five with two that really could have dropped. In fact, I think one of them really was in. The other was super close. Uh, that's a very good sign. It's just one game. Let's just see what happens. Right. But it looked great. It wasn't just that they were great misses. It, he looked like a very, very smooth, confident shooter. Scotty, on the other hand, who shot well this preseason, uh, I think went one of four, and the other three misses were bad misses. So, so I'm just this is one game, and you can't really evaluate anything from it mm -hmm. other than to say I've been around a long time. There is some concern I have uh, for a while anyway about his three point shooting. I don't care; he's in his third year. Uh, I liked his energy. Uh, you're talking about two. I mean, Siakam has a chance to be All NBA this year. He does so many things. He, the way he rebounds, I thought his defensive effort was incredible. Scotty is such a gifted power guard. I love power guards, and he's got real size. He's not just strong. 
Uh, I've written, you guys, Will, you might know it. I, I have the Raptors maybe finishing fourth in the East. I saw, yeah. Uh, they've got to get better. That's a few things. I, I am I'm concerned about the shooting for sure and the chemistry. Uh, I, quite frankly, I think it was really terrible the last couple of years, the last year especially. And I don't think you just snap your fingers and change coaches and have that changed. It takes time. Uh, uh, you need leaders that can that can teach and talk and have others listen and respond. I have no idea if that's going to happen or not. I do like their head coach a lot, and I think he'll figure some things out. Uh, I think he's much more tactical than what you had before, and that's going to take some time as well. But uh, you have to get involved in the transition game because their half-court game with Pirtle's inability to do much outside you know, 11 inches and, and, and not a great jumper, uh, though he does have a nice touch game. He should be some early, you know, early pick and roll. I'd hit him on the on the quick slip or the, the quick uh, roll and let him hit that floater. He's got a nice floater, light little push shot. Uh, and they got it. They just got to get better shooting. Gary Trent Jr. factors in with that. Um, uh, OG obviously did well yesterday. I'm I'm not I have a, I just have a funny feeling he's not going to be there all season. You, you guys may want to talk about that, but uh, he's got real value in the league. And I'm not sure he's not too duplicative on a team that's desperate for like a real lead guard, in my opinion. Coach, you, I, I want to circle back to, to something you said there about the transition offense versus the half-court offense. And, and I'm curious what your feeling is as to what the limits of a transition offense are. And, and I, what I mean by that is, you know, in the era we have synergy or play tracking data for, you know, the most aggressive transition team can score in transition about 22% of the time is where it's topped out. Yesterday, the Raptors had 30 transition uh, opportunities, 35 fast break points. Obviously, the half-court offense is going to be better. We saw them last year lead the league in transition opportunities and still only be an average offense because the half-court offense was so poor. In, in your estimation, where the league is now as we're seeing teams, you know, tilt back a little bit more toward offensive rebounding, what is kind of the high end of what a transition offense can do? Can you push it north of that kind of 20%, closer to 25%? And, and does it even matter in, in those differences there if you can't score on the half court? I, I would say what you what you just finished up with. Uh, they should be around where they were last year, uh, maybe even a little bit better, although with uh, not having Fred, you know, one of the best things about transition offense is if you really beat up the rim, you open up a lot more threes and and don't have not having that shooter like Fred uh, and not having a replacement for him unless you trust Dennis, which I don't. I think he's fine. I just don't think he's special um, uh, and not a great shooter. Uh, then you are going to be somewhat limited in your transition offense. But what I've argued is I think they'll be better in the half court. It's just going to take some time. Right. So they can. My argument's been if they take this year what they did last year in the transition game and maybe maybe be as just as as uh, chaos creation creating on defense but then also maybe locking down a little bit better a little less gambling um and, and just more accountability for for helping where you're supposed to help and taking away where you're supposed to take away uh they're going to get uh, just as effective transition points as they did before and i think their half court offense will be better uh, the pragmatic ways to find scotty and pascal in their best spots, uh, making sure you've got shooters around those guys. Pascal's ability to shoot. He did not shoot, but two free throws, I think, yesterday. That number's got to be 8 to 10. I think he did 6.7 maybe last year. It, it can get above that if they use him tactically more intelligently and more relentlessly. Scotty, too, should also make a living at the line with his power game. And so if they shoot a lot more free throws, which is something they've done before, uh, but also create better shots in the half court, with their new offense, which I think they can do. It's just going to take some time. 
they could be, a, I would say, a top 10, 12, top 12 offense. If they're a top 10 defense hey, and yeah. they are killers on the glass, you got yourself a pretty serious playoff team. Yeah. Well, let's talk about what that new offense should kind of look like, right? Because I think there, we saw some inklings. Like last night, there was a play where, and I described in the first half hour, but, um, you know, OG came across like some you know, staggered screens on one side. Dennis was penetrating. And OG caught the ball from Dennis and uh, went up for a shot, faked it, uh, drew Gobert to step up and vacate the paint, and then he threw a high-low pass to Dennis. I just feel like last year, there just weren't as many off-ball actions, especially late in the game. Two minutes left in the game, you're still running that kind of stuff. And whatever, last night the Raptors' half-court offense was not efficient. But I, I want to you know, evaluate the misses like you're talking about right here. And you know the intention behind Darko's new offense. Um, you know, Coach, can you sort of detail for us like what the difference is as compared to previous years? Yeah, I thought that in the previous years, the offense has mostly been side to side to side to side to side and then mismatch attack yeah. or mismatch hunt and attack. And I, I find that to be very, not just boring and droll, but um, not largely ineffective, absent just great talent, which you know, will always rely on talent, where I feel like this year uh, there's going to be a, a search for a more, again, the European style is more tactical, uh, manipulate the defense, spread it out horizontally, then attack vertically. There was not a lot of vertical attack last night that was successful because Rudy Gobert was in the paint. Yeah, well, he's not going to be in the game every time you play, and 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 nothing against Victor, but he ain't no Rudy Gobert right now. He's going to be much better one day. Mm. The bad day is not today or tomorrow. So you and and the and Nick Vucevic isn't Rudy Gobert either. By the way, your next game. So I think there's got to be the idea of 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 think about the European game. Spread the court out more with passing and ball movement and screening off ball and cuts and then start picking on weak defenders off the ball. The mm. one thing about on ball okay. is like yesterday, for example, Rudy blocked both Pascal and I think twice and Scotty at least once at the rim, but they had the ball in their hands for a while and Rudy knew it was coming. Well, you got to try to catch those guys by surprise, those help blockers that are kind of hanging in the lane. And again, as long as Pirtle's there, that's what's going to be the case. I'd like to see Pirtle start circling more towards the middle, uh, right as the first box, second box, you know, that line, when there's when there's penetration on the flanks to the rim and Rudy is right there. I don't think uh, Pirtle should hang around the rim. I think he needs, like I said, circle more towards that soft underbelly in there. You got to make sure there's no weak, there's no drop-down guard to try to poke it away. So just throw it to eight feet. You'll be okay. The guards mm -hmm. won't get it then. And then he can make that little, like I said, eight-footer, ten-footer. That's something they can start doing, uh, uh, creating more backdoor situations, creating more. Uh, you mentioned the high low. I really like that. If you want to deny Scotty, even maybe OG sometimes, definitely Pirtle and, and certainly Siakam, probably Siakam most of all. If you want to deny them with the guard, that's fine. So if the ball's on the wing and you're denying your guy, the, the, the player – the offensive player should recognize, I'm going to let him deny me when the ball is on the wing. Mm. You just have to make sure someone runs to the elbow and you get the quick high-low. You can't do it from the top of the key necessarily. That's too long of a pass, and the defender can X out and get in front of his man and, and knock the ball away. He can't do it in time when it's when it's an elbow touch. It's an automatic read. You watch Denver play. Yep. You'll see Aaron Gordon do it all the time. He'll fill that elbow spot when you're denying Jokic from the baseline side in the post. So those little things like that can be features of any offense, really, but especially one that isn't dribbling all the time. So the one mm -hmm. way I would look at Toronto's offense is, and I haven't done this, but I would check to see how many dribbles they're taking versus how many passes they're taking compared to years past. And I would hope and I would guess that there's going to be a lot less dribbles and a lot more passes as the season goes on. And I think that's going to 
really help them, especially guys like Scotty and Siakam, who should be terrific off-ball wing scorers. Both are also willing screeners and big guys. I think they can really take advantage of those two guys. And I've argued that those guys should be both all-stars this year. Scotty is first. I don't know how many Siakam's made, maybe two. They, th- those guys both should do that this year, and the offense could help them tremendously in that way. Okay. Um, the question about Scotty. So I think you, you mentioned earlier you love these, like, big power guards, and that's why I feel like with Scotty, like, you know, he is a guard when he's handling, but then when he's also running in transition, he's he's like a big in the sense that it's so hard to deny him going to the basket. And, you know, I think didn't see it so much today. As you mentioned, the matchup wasn't the greatest and the spacing wasn't the greatest. You know, he – Got to the basket, kind of threw a couple of hook shots, and didn't really quite bounce in for him. Um, but in general, obviously, especially in preseason, we saw him bully his way to the rim. And and obviously, when Rudy Gobert is not around, I think you can really see a lot more of that, yeah. uh, even starting tomorrow when the Raptors play uh, Chicago, as you mentioned. So um, is is that breakout coming for Scotty? And I think more importantly, for, for you know, taking away from something so like nebulous like that, what does that breakout for Scotty look like? Like, what does a breaking out version of Scotty look like, especially this season, based on his skill set? I mean, if you want to talk numbers, it's, you know, something like 18 to 20, you know, 8 to 10 boards, probably 6 to 8 assists. That's what the, you know, you're, you're, you're getting triple doubles on occasion mm. and you're, you're on triple double alert a lot, which means you're, you're, you're constantly filling up the stat sheet. A huge jump defensively. Uh, I did not look at his defensive numbers recently, but I don't remember them being very good. And there's no excuse for that for, for him. Actually, for any of those guys, Toronto should be a top yep. five defensive team, almost without question. Um, I'll get back to something I said this summer. Some I, I, I don't see Scotty playing joyfully. Still, I do like the ferocity of his game, mm. and I think that's he's matured in a good way that way. But I, 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 someone's told him like you don't you're not supposed to smile when you play, and he's and they're wrong. They're completely wrong. And I've I've talked to enough NBA players, I uh, and and as much as I love to say I'm a try I'm a good teacher. I'm a really good listener to these guys and. I remember talking to Corey Brewer one time, who is known to be just the, the most fun-loving guy. I call him yep. Chris Rock out of court. He's so funny in practice. But don't call him not competitive. He's super competitive, and he's always smiling. And I asked him about it, and he said, I just feel like I play better and harder when I'm having fun. That was a, He actually told my son that when my son was young. That was a good lesson. Um, uh, I, I think, Scotty, there's a joyful part of his game that's missing, and I don't think that needs to happen. But You'll know the breakout because all of a sudden he's going to be a guy stoning good offensive players in fourth quarters defensively and then getting huge buckets or making the right play for a teammate and thinking the game. A lot of these guys are playing the game. As they get older, they start reading the game and thinking the game. And that means I'll give you in 20 seconds. I was talking to a player who who was mad that his second unit lost to the first unit in a scrimmage like just a couple of days ago. And, and when it was over, he was talking to the starters and, they have two very smart veterans who said, you know, young man, like we're two of the smartest guys in the world playing basketball. We're, we're combined over 60 years old. And we knew before the game started how to beat you guys. None of you guys were talking about how to beat us, but we were talking about how to beat your group. And that's the reality of the game is the mm-hmm. thinkers have a huge advantage. And, uh, and, and Scotty really does have a great mind for the game. Now it's got to meet up with experience and measured impulse control and recognizing where the best matchup is. Don't just hunt your stats for your for your contract, Hunt wins and the contract will come. And normally he plays that way. I hope he does this year. Yeah. Um, okay. We talked so much about the Raptors, but you know you, you do such great coverage over at True Hoop about everything. 
you cover the NBA, you got to talk about Victor Wamanyama. <laughs> um, number one overall pick. I just remember um, seeing him in Summer League. And I think he I actually arrived in Summer League a little bit too late to see the first game that he struggled against. Uh, I think Kai Jones dunked on him against Charlotte. Mm-hmm. That's what I was saying, right? Um, but the second game where uh, he really broke out, I think it was against Portland. I was just looking at it. I was like, this guy's wingspan is eight feet. And it's going to take so much adjusting for other players who can typically get to the regular move, the regular shot, the regular separation, and it's a shot. It's a move that they made a hundred times, a million times, and they're going to get that shot off. And that's when Victor is like, actually, no, it's slightly different when I'm on the court. Coach, I, I, we saw, obviously, Victor make his debut yesterday. I'm sure you tuned into a lot of that. Um, what did you see from Victor? Because this is something that we're going to be talking about for the next 20 years. Yeah, it's funny you say that. I, I was in the gym when he scored his first basket in Summer League, and I just put on the Spurs game about 20 seconds before he, he made his first shot, which you know, which coincidentally was a three. Um, I think he's going to have a, a learning curve. Uh, he only blocked one shot yesterday, and he was in foul trouble, and I watched all of his fouls. And the game is refereed differently here than, than it is in Europe, and he probably got away with some things over there that he's not going to get away with here. He'll figure that out. He'll figure things out faster than the league will figure him out, I'll tell you that. Mm. So when, so what's going to happen is he's going to struggle some. He'll have some good games, plenty of average to poor ones, as he kind of gets the feel for everything. But once he does, it's it's going to take longer for the, the field to, to get what you just said, which is, in fact, one of his teammates told me he thinks he's a block five shots a game. I said, well, he won't early on. <laughs> five is a lot. But he, but yeah, five's a lot. But but I said uh, in time it's going to be better. But his point was the player to me. His point was, you're just what you said. They're going to take shots they've been taking their whole life, and it's just not going to work. Uh, and but he understands how to be a shot blocker, how to be a help blocker. He's actually. Uh, a, I was in San Antonio working a player out very recently, and I did not see Victor in the gym. I did see a lot of their other best players, but not him. But I was there late at night, and um, he's really. Well liked, well respected, great coach, very coachable, great listener. His team, meaning his own personal team, I call him Team Wembyama or Team Wemby. Very impressive, doing all the right things, saying all the right things. Uh, it, it's going to be a fast track for him. He may get he may get worn down a little bit as the year goes on, but he's going to be have a long stretch where he's going to be very good. His ability to shoot, I think, is his best attribute. I was worried about it because he did not shoot well last year in France. He just shot well against Scoot Henderson and. People act like he was a great shooter. Well, he's a pretty good shooter. And um, I think he's a good passer. I'd like to see more elbow touches from him. Play him like Jokic. In fact, I think that'd be wise to play him more like Jokic mm. and Duncan Robinson than KD. They're still kind of figuring out how best to play him. They're not really sure. I think they're trying to get a feel for him. Pop's got a good plan in place. Devin Vassell is their best player right now, and I love Devin. I think they're going to be a great team. Those two will be a great group together. Maybe Jeremy uh, Sohan, uh, Sohan works out as the third guy. They're still looking for everybody else. Uh, they need a point guard, in my opinion. I don't think Jeremy's going to be the answer. But, but guys, this will be the last time the Spurs don't make the playoffs for a long time. Coach, what did you think specifically about how Wemby w- was used defensively or what the best way to maybe use him defensively is right now? Uh, certainly in the second half of that game, they kind of had him operating in the weak corner and they'd actually have him come up to like late be a late second contester against top threes that happened on that side of the floor. I think just to, you know, get another hand in someone's kind of view and maybe even just like out of their periphery, be like, what the heck? Like mm-hmm. there's another long arm coming, uh, but I- I'd imagine, you know, an optimized version of Wemby as he starts to pick things up here, you could get really creative with the best ways to use him defensively. How do you see that side of it shaking out? 
I think most of the year they'll use him low waist. Uh, Ime Yudoka used um, Robert Williams uh, a couple of years ago when they made the finals, which is just stash him on the worst shooter and or the least offensive impact guy and, and let him roam and kind of figure stuff out and help when he can and so forth. That, that'd that be my guess. He, otherwise, he's going to foul too much. He's He's so tall, and they don't want him to play the five. I think for physical reasons, as much as anything, it's a, it's a. These guys are monsters at the five, hmm. and um, you guys don't know what that looks like until you got, you know, at Yako. But these are big dudes, and they're strong, and they, and they know how to hit you. And so I think they're trying to save him some of those hits, uh, but he's not able to guard the perimeter. Uh, even though he doesn't have to get as close as other guys do to contest, he still has to stand up a little bit. And when he does, they'll blow by him. They'll get into his body. They'll run over his feet, your know, size 18, whatever, or run over the bottom of his legs and get fouled on trips. Like they're going to expose him that. So I think you got to hide him a little bit, let him roam, which will be effective uh, for sure. But but eventually, he's going to be able to guard any big, you know, whoever your best big is, especially one that wants to score inside, he's going to be able to guard that guy. So um, it's just going to take some time. It might take two or three years, let his body fill out more, and they'll figure that out. But eventually, I think he's going to be, uh, a Marcus Saul, but a better shot blocking Marcus Saul defensively. So he'll cut off angles. He'll be a he'll be a gigantic space eater, but he's gonna be much better than Mark at blocking shots as well. Yeah, wow, that's a that's a scary thought because I yeah. think on the other end too, because there's such a fascination whenever he does anything offensively. Looking at him right now, and I got the same feeling in preseason or in summer league. It just feels like he does like he finds random spots, and, and you, there's not like a real pattern or even a go-to play yet. Obviously, we're talking about one game of the regular season, but, like, just kind of decides to take a pull-up three here or he's coming off a screen here or he's going to the rim here or a little transition. I, I don't know. Maybe it's just, like, he's such a unique player and also maybe they're just trying to figure out how to use him. But, like, offensively, long-term, I'm really curious to, like, know what his role will be offensively. Like, what are some of the plays that, like, consistently get him shots? Well, I think it's going to be a big suitcase full of stuff. <laughs> uh, remember this, when Kevin Durant was a rookie, you guys were barely alive probably, but when oh, he come was a rookie. <laughs> um, yeah, I remember. PJ Carlesma was his coach in Seattle, and I I pretty think, I pretty much thought the rule was there are no rules, and he was just terrible. He just took bad shot after bad shot. Meanwhile, he was like the best college freshman of all time. Right. Uh, true freshman, because Kareem didn't play until his second year as Lou Cinder. It was not a um, lot for that, don't worry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but yeah, I, I was very young. I don't remember it. But um, he uh, he figured it out. It took him a few years, but he figured it out. And I, I, I made the analogy back then. I was at ESPN then that it was like if you own a candy store, letting your kids come in the first few months and let them do whatever they want, and they'll gorge themselves on candy and never want to eat candy again, which is mission accomplished. And I felt that I, with KD's become such a disciplined score for so long, I really felt it was from how inefficient he was. So I don't think Pop is thinking the same thing, but the, but it's the same impact. Mm-hmm. They're letting him just kind of figure it out. I do think, from what I've been told, there's been times in practice now where Pop has said, that's a BS shot, stop doing that kind of thing, which is good. Mm-hmm. But they're not going to overdo it. The last thing you want to do is suck the joy from him. He's already got all the eyes of the world on him. That's, right. a, that's a heavy weight. It's a heavy burden. He's lucky to be in San Antonio for many respects. Conspiracy theorists, friends of mine, believe that he's in San Antonio for a reason because it would be too much if he was in New York or Philadelphia or or some of the L.A. big cities. He's going to be okay in San Antonio. When I was there, like no one even knew what he looked like barely. I mean, they'll go to the games and all that, but and they certainly are big fans there. But uh, he's in a good spot, and I think that they, I think Pop's whole thing this year is let's figure out how we can best win with him 
and how he can best impact games for wins. And then we'll start populating our roster accordingly. All right. Well, uh, Coach, I appreciate your time. Um, this is great perspective on the Raptors. Great perspective on Wemby as well. I'm really excited. Actually, I, I, I got to ask one follow-up question before you leave. You, you kind of just slipped in there, the, the, your prediction on OG. Can I, just, can I just circle back to that a little bit? Because, you know, we, had a, we, we obviously loved OG here. We love OG here. He had a yeah. great defensive You're performance. You're already talking about him in the Anthony past Edwards. tense? No, no. Oh, sorry. That was a, that was a Freudian <laughs> slip. No, okay. Come on, Coach. Come on. You can't just, you can't just tease us like that. So I know I know nothing. Obviously, no one's telling me anything. I'm just saying I think that they've got. I know Masai in the past has enjoyed having these big wings. Um, OG's in a contract here. You certainly can't afford to lose him the way you did Fred to get nope. nothing in return. Nope. That that's a no brainer. And um, I think you guys are desperate. Like I watched Tyus Jones last night, and I'm not. Uh, you can't just trade OG for Tyus. OG's oh, more not. valuable than Tyus. You can get more. The money works though. You can get more. Uh, Tyus should not be on the on the Wizards. He's ready to help a team win, and that team is is not serious about winning, as I see it anyway. Maybe that'll change, but he's just one example. There's there's a few. Yeah, of course. Um, I think you need a real quarterback that that can really shoot, defend the position, but also throw hyper accurate passes like we talked about, run pick and roll, mm-hmm. organize the team all the time, and not not Scotty and Pascal are be busy trying to knock down lock down the best wings in the world. Uh, to ask them to run the offense, too, is unfair, I think. So I feel like it's duplicative. You have a guy in it. Okay. Like, obviously, you could trade Pascal, too. He also isn't in a, he's in a contract year and doesn't have anything uh, that's locking him in going forward. Scotty's going to be there a while. So uh, I just think OG is the better guy to do with the money he's got and, um, and get yourself a real guard. That's what I think. Mm, fair enough. Okay. Coach, thank you so much for your time. And uh, we'll probably bug you again in about a month and ask you about Pascal and Scotty. You know what's coming. Always here for you, buddy. All right. That was uh, David Thorpe of True Hoop, and that was our NBA Insider brought to you by Coors Light. Go from full-time to game-time. Coors Light made to chill. Okay, we're going to... I got two quick things out of that before we we take the break here. First is uh, the money also works for Chris Boucher for Tyus Jones. You'd have to kick in yes. something, obviously. I don't obviously. think he was trade OG for Tyus Jones. No, I, no, he would not do that. I know, but yeah. like it's hard not to watch that Wizards team and see Tyus and DeLon right there and be like, well, either one of those guys would uh, would be great. I don't want to trade anyone after game one. We just won the game. Darko's so happy they're celebrating with the water on him. Don't, I'm just, don't trade anyone. Just saying, there is a really bad team with too many guards. Yes, yes. Oh, they'll be making more trades. Yes. For sure. I feel bad for Tyus, though, because he was only in a winning program in Memphis. And now he has to do this. Yeah. I, I do feel bad. Yeah. Uh, the other thing was uh, Coach Thorpe mentioned that he would like to see the Raptors. Uh, he didn't. He said he hadn't looked at the numbers yet. Uh, fewer dribbles per touch. So I looked up the numbers mm. while, while oh, he was nice. giving us that answer. Um, so, so far, every team has played now except for, I think, two. Uh, the Raptors have the fewest dribbles per touch in the entire NBA. Wow. Uh, they were at 2.01 dribbles per touch last night and 2.61 seconds per touch. So obviously, we don't have the context of, of what is a good number, what is a bad number, but both of those were the best in the NBA so far. They're both significant improvements from last year where they were a little more dribble and, and touch time uh, each touch. They are about on par with last year's Golden State Warriors who had the oh. fewest dribbles oh, and seconds yeah. per touch. So it obviously it's one game, the tiniest no, no, no. sample Darko we could possibly have. What was the odds on that? But uh, yeah, uh, to Coach Thorpe's point, yeah. so far so good in one game there. Very few dribbles per touch and uh, very few seconds per touch. We're talking decimal points there, but hey, yeah. anytime you can get a... Uh, Jama really brought the Warriors offense over from Golden State just without the uh, without the shots going in. Well, they did put him in as... Uh... 
offensive coordinator. But uh, honestly, with all this uh, all this uh, talk, we, we should be brought back after this break to the tune of <laughs> Tempted to Touch. But uh, we're going to take Come a break. On. I've been your host, Willu. You've been listening to the Raptor Show on the Sports Radio Network. Breaking down the top stories in hockey and Elliot Friedman every day. The Jeff Merrick Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's up to, to DJ Derek, man. He really did bring us back to Attempted uh, to Touch. But anyway, we are back on the program. Welcome back to the Raptors Show on the Sports and Radio Network. I'm your host, Wayne Blue. I'm joined by... Uh, Alex and Blake to close out the show today. Alex is going to get the ball here and he's going to run point because we're going around the NBA. What's going on, Alex? What's up, man? I thought you guys were going to go a little longer with um, David Thorpe. You don't got Zoom Premium? Uh, you know we had we. You know, look, listen. We, we wow, haven't gone through already, our topic. Why are you stammering? Um, <laughs> uh, make a statement. No, we did need it. All right. No, but seriously, uh, it was just great to talk to to coach. You know, honestly, I'm I'm a little bit sensitive with coach's time too because I know like his routine is like he gets a mat early, does the film, sends it to the players that he's working with. Like this is a whole film review in the whole day, so I, I know he's closer to the end of his day than he is to start right. already. So, well, at least he knows your name because uh, you know, remember earlier this week when Blake asked. <laughs> A question to Darko Ryakovich. Well, about- who? <laughs> and, uh, Blake's question was, you know, we're playing in the sports media game. Um, you know, how am I, what, what tips do you have for going up against the person that you have been talking to for the last 20 minutes yeah. here, yeah. Uh, Will Liu? And uh, yeah, let's hear that again, Derek. Will who? <laughs> So I just want to be nah, clear. The way he says it too is sick, man. The way we're spelling your name now is Will Who, H-U. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so yeah. that is your new name now. No, are, are you okay with that? Uh, I, I think I'm okay with that. Let's I'm, hear it one I'm, more time, Derek. <laughs> will Who. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you know my, my family who uh, you know have this name will just be okay with us being changed. Um, you know, when I go back to my hometown, I see that the little temple that uh, everyone's name for generations is carved into the stone, including mine. We'll just have to change that to who because of Darko. No, I mean, it's funny because... Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, <laughs> this guy's no, Doctor Who, but it's H-U. <laughs> no, it's... it's uh, it sounds like that scene of Rush Hour 3 when, you know, the Chris Tucker's like, who, you, and then <laughs> I've me. never watched Rush Hour 3. I told you this. Basically, he, he has a hard time understanding that you, me, and who are all Chinese last names oh, that are really common. Okay. So, anyway, that's the whole that's the whole joke. But, no, seriously, um, with Darko, I mean, <laughs> we, we've interviewed him twice. Uh, I've shaken his hand a couple of times just to say hi, coach. And, uh, you know, it's tough. It's, it's tough. It's tough. <laughs> it wouldn't have been nearly as funny, though, if he said Blake who in the, in the similar no, no, situation. No, no. Well, who is, well, who's in a, definitely a CPA somewhere, man? I'm looking up on LinkedIn right now. Will who? Oh, man. So funny, man. Oh, man. All right. All right. All right. Let's get from full time to game time here. Uh, Blake, you know, I want to ask the two of you because, um, you know, we talked, obviously, Raptors um, in the first three segments. But it was a packed night in the NBA. Yes. Last night. Um I want to hear from both of you either one major takeaway. I would prefer a major overreaction from watching any particular team player after just one game in the NBA season. So I'll start with you, Blake. All right. So you guys, uh, you guys busted me yesterday, uh, being a, a basketball pervert, <laughs> oh. and I, I had the no, wait, wait. What, what do we call no, you? Let's describe this. Let's describe this, guys. Okay, so real quickly. <laughs> oh God. Well, we, we sit, we sit in like a on media row on the six hundred level. We have like a, a booth, right? The five, the the fan five ninety booth. 
Mm. Um, and so oh, yes. we had our stuff in there already, yes. and we're, we're just walking up to, like, sit This the game weirdo was in our booth. <laughs> and then we noticed the door was locked. Like, it was like, yeah. oh, first off, the door is rarely closed, but the door is locked, like, fully locked. And I'm like, okay, what's going on? You're going to go get security or something to open the door because our stuff's in there. I was like, no, I'm going to reach around and just, like, look around the booth. And I look in, and Blake's in there. And I'm like, oh, oh Blake, can you open the door? <laughs> Blake opens the door. He's like, who, you know, who's there? And I walk in, and no, so... tell him what Blake was doing, man. Blake was watching. Oh, my gosh. Should we even say on this on air? Pass, Houston ah, Rockets versus Orlando Magic. He had the door locked. Disgusting behavior, Door man. locked, lights out, headphones <laughs> on, <laughs> no, laptop out. <laughs> had the lotion to the side like Michael Pena. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, come on, man. Don't do him like that. He's got to stay hydrated. Who? Um, yeah, anyway, Blake, you're, sorry, you're Blake, saying... Blake, let Blake, let Blake make... I want to hear a, I want to hear a takeaway <laughs> or, or, off the rails or overreaction. Yeah, I mean, my overreaction is that uh, I aim too low predicting the Orlando Magic would win the in-season tournament. They might win the entire NBA. They they put it on the Rockets by 30. They're only caught, like, the first quarter and a half because right. obviously the Raptors... Because, uh, yeah, because you guys rudely interrupted me and, and I was... Uh, yeah, a little blue today, um, but yeah, <laughs> oh, they God. they uh, George Bluth. They looked uh, they looked good. The Rockets looked very very bad, which is uh, not entirely unexpected to start the season here. Um, look, I got I got to check out Wizards Pacers as well. I got the second mm. half of the Wemby game in, and then a little bit of Trailblazers Clippers once we got home after the game. Nice. Um, it was fun. It was really nice to have basketball back. I, I think my biggest it's not even an overreaction because I already expected the Wizards to be really bad, but like. I think they could be like really, really bad. Like they were so they looked Bro, they worse than care, they man. looked against the Raptors yeah. in that preseason game. And this was a regular season game against an NBA opponent. Right. Like they I don't know if you could count half a dozen possessions where they tried they were like locked in on defense. It was really bad. Who is their coach, by the way? Do who's their gaffer? Yeah. Who? Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. No, but who's their gaffer? <laughs> Can you tell me right now? You guys don't know this? It is Oh, okay, okay, okay. Um yeah, watching Washington. It's funny because Washington beat Cans by sixty in preseason, and then when Washington plays a team, hold on, they play the Cans too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cans was on a globe. And they beat them by sixty four, I think. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So I, I, I do wonder if that's, uh, yeah, that should that should factor into their plus minus on the season. No, serious, that's not a serious team. I, I looked down at the box score with like nine minutes in the fourth quarter, and they had to give up one hundred and twenty five <laughs> points. Yeah. I was like, oh my god, Who? we're gonna see one hundred fifty on, on opening night. Um, oh, honestly, man. yeah, for me, it was just like, obviously tune into, you know, watch, uh, the Spurs and, and, and honestly, like, I think everyone's going to tune in to come to see Wemby, mm-hmm. but you're actually going to see like the, you know, the, the rest of the team is actually, it's not horrible. Like there actually are like a decent number of like intriguing young players in that group. Devin Vassell obviously got paid this off season, huge contract. Mm-hmm. He looks great. Mm-hmm. Um, he looks to be really, really fun. And you know, I think there's just a, a nice collection there. Keldon Johnson, Big Body Johnson is what they call him over there. You know, just like crashing in. And, and, and he's like 6'4", but he plays like... Is that really his nickname? He plays like a fit Zion, weirdly enough. <laughs> you know, but no, seriously, like it, there's just multiple guys there. Like I actually don't think they're that far away from being competitive, which would be great for the league because, you know, Wemby's already like ready for stardom, I think. Yeah, and I think if I was going to have like a more serious or like playoff relevant overreaction to this one, the mm-hmm. Spurs put up... 70 where they put they put up 68 in the first half against Dallas and Dallas made the second half adjustment of of not starting Maxi Kleber and starting Derek Lively the second in in his place you know I don't know that surprisingly good he was really good he shot seven of eight he was all over the glass Um, yeah it it didn't it didn't sound like it when we we kind of were researching these guys teeing the season up Um, but that Mavs defense is you know not 
terribly surprising when you start Kyrie and Luka Doncic. Yeah. Um, it, it's iffy there. It's funny. A friend texted me. I was like, wow, when was the last time a Popovich team put up 70 and a half? And I actually looked it up and it was in their very last game, which was the season finale against Dallas last year. Oh. They put up 71 and a half. So okay. I think, I, I don't think it's great for Dallas, even though they won this game and they did lock in a little better in the second half. Um, but I don't think it was great for them. That first game of the season, their defense looks shaky enough to give up almost 70 and a half to you know, a team that is fun, but is probably going to win 25, 28 games this year. Mm. Yeah, this is like, I mean, I think I talked about this on air with you guys already, and I was trying to pitch this to a friend of the program, Joe Wolf, on yesterday as we were walking out of the arena. I don't know. Like, I really like when I look at Wemby, I know there's, I know the roster is, you know, still needs a, a lot more, but. They're just young. They actually have a lot of talent. I'm, I asked them, I'm like, if they had Dame this year, like, with the way Wemby's playing, like, yeah. would, would it be out of question to be, say that they're in like the Western Conference Finals in the best case scenario? No, I just man. think the Spurs no. are like close. Oh, no. I, I just think we're still underrating Wemby, man. Like this guy okay. is a no. monster. Like no. you've never seen Wemby before. No, again, when you watch Wemby play, it's like walking around downtown Toronto to see him tower. You're just gonna see him randomly at all times. Yeah, yeah. he's making plays that I, I just can't not believe. And I'm seeing this every night, like preseason. And, and last night as well. So, Blake, is is, is Orlando kind of your darling team this year? Yeah, I mean, like, they're high on my league pass rankings. Okay. I, I think they're going to make the play in. Is Orlando Eastern Conference OKC? Mm. Yeah, I mean, they're not going to be actually as good as OKC yes, was yeah. last OKC year, was but, like, they, they might win as many games yeah. because the bottom of the East is just way worse than the, the middle of the West Like if, we, if we're comparing schedules. So uh, I think they could be the team that jumps to 500-ish. I don't think they're going to be quite as good, but they should be fun. The offense... Can look gross at times, but Paolo and Franz are are good. Cole Anthony had an awesome game last night. Mm, um, right. Yeah, I think I like fun. that. I like that. Will man, give me an overreaction. I want an overreaction from you, bro. Just from the first two nights. Overreaction is, you know, rap's going to the chip, baby. What do you <laughs> no, want, I don't. Man? I want no. Do, do you want to do a Andrew Nembard should actually be the starting point guard for Canada at the Olympics? Overreaction. Come on, dude. Give me something hot, man. Come on. Give me, I, I only watched two games. Last <laughs> time. Dude, you, you can box score hot take. You want something hot right now? Give me something real hot. How much better is Anthony Edwards than Zach Levine? Oh, we come hype him like crazy. No, we hype him up like crazy. But but you're coming off a night when he was guarded by like OG game, and all this like, stuff. Oh man, that's D Wade out there. No, honestly, look up, look, look, look. Just I'm just saying, look at the numbers a little bit. Look, I, I Can do we? Believe. Okay, this is a good overreaction. I like this. No, I like this, Mad Dog. Yeah, I like this. Bro, <laughs> I don't know. Wolf, wolf, sorry. Come shots on, man. It's Anthony Edwards. I don't. Yeah. Does he know who Mad Dog is? Chris Mad Dog Russo. Oh, I've seen him, yeah. yeah he he said he would retire if the Diamondbacks came back from down 3-2 in that series against the Phillies, and then they did it. They won. Yeah. And, like, obviously he did not retire. But yeah. just, like, an obscene yeah. overreaction take <laughs> is, I think, what Alex yeah. is going for there. All right, here's here's another. Um, okay, you guys tell me if, this, uh, if we should overreact to this. So the Bulls oh, lost yeah. at home oh, yeah. by 20 points to the OKC Thunder. And according to the local reporters there, Billy Donovan said when he walked into the Bulls locker room, players were already in heated conversations after the game. And Donovan asked if they wanted him to handle, to leave to handle the conflict. The players said yes. So they had a players only meeting. And uh, Billy Donovan emphasized that this, this wasn't a huge blow up. He said, quote, they weren't screaming at each other. And the players echoed that in their postgame comments. But Zach Levine criticized the team's second half and said, quote, I don't think we played with enough heart. So uh, they definitely tied the record for earliest players-only meeting to start the regular season. I, I feel like you'd have to, like, have a players-only meeting in preseason or something. <laughs> to top this. this is incredible. It's like a Usain Bolt record. Um, 
I think for them, like, I understand, like, you know, they got to play with more heart. I mean, I think defensively, that's where they need to be strong. They were really strong to finish defensively last year. They gave up 124 points to OKC. Also, shouts out to Shea, 31 points, uh, 10 assists, 5 rebounds. Like, if I'm trading OG, I want to call about Shea. Mm -hmm. And I know I'm going to get turned down, but I'm going to try to make that kind of call. Not a Tyus Jones call, but, yeah, like, the Bulls need to be good on defense because that team is just mid. Like, I'm sorry, like, they're, they're, they're like the Raptors with bad vibes, so... Actually, with less talent, too. But, no, seriously, though, like, I think that team, it's it's unfortunate because I don't want to be the team that comes in to play after a players-only meeting. Now the Raptors got to see them, like, tomorrow. And maybe, who knows, they'll do something different, I guess. But what like, are they going to do something different? <laughs> get better players on the league? Uh, you never know. But Come no, on, man. They just got to be way better defensively. I think they have that in them, too. Like, I think Billy Donovan has made a lot of progress with them defensively. But the team is the team. The team is kind of the team. The team is the team. Yeah, and, like, look, they got a little unfortunate OKC shot 19 of 39 on mm. threes. Like you're not going to, most teams yeah. are not going to hit almost 50% on 40 threes, but also like they shot really well inside the arc too. Yep. Um, they did not turn over Oklahoma city as much as you would maybe hope uh, given Chicago's defensive principles and things like that. So I, I think, Friday will be really interesting in this regard because the Raptors are obviously not going to shoot 50% on 43-point attempts. Uh, and we saw Chicago look pretty solid defensively over yeah, the, the three well. quarters of which it was an actual dress rehearsal against the, the Raptors in the preseason. That was out without Alex Russo, who's back and coming off the bench for them for about 20 minutes. So, mm. um, you know, I, I could see this being a tough spot for the Raptors just because the Bulls, you know, on nights they have it, they should be pretty solid defensively. They should be, but uh, yeah. It's also, weird. They don't have great individual defenders, but the defensive principles and like bringing Caruso yeah. off the bench, I, I still, I at least believe in the defensive side of Patrick Williams. I actually don't know enough of how Chicago does it. Cause when you look at it on paper, you're like, that's a bad defensive team, but mm -hmm. actually they were quite good. Um, also, I'm looking at my Zach Levine take right now. He was four of 16 from the field last night. So there we that's go. Tough. That's actually a slightly better percentage than Anthony Edwards though. Yeah. We always talk about this. We joke about this on the show all the time. It's like, what's the worst team to do a daily show about? I think if I were to pick this mm -hmm. year, I think the bulls are there. Because, like, it's just what's there exciting to, like... Charlotte Hornets, you might need a law degree to cover that team. Yeah, I mean, I put the Bulls there, though. This this, this is, should replace Zach Lowe's league pass rankings. Like, it's the top 30 of, like, teams you would, you know, be excited to do a daily show about. Mm. Yeah, it's tough. Because, I'm putting like, Bulls 30. They, they have fun pieces, obviously, and interesting players. And, like, we all loved covering DeMar. But, yeah, this is a team that is further like if we worry about treadmill teams who stay around 500 too long and there's no upward mobility out of it mm, and right. there's no real downside because you don't you haven't stockpiled the prospects um they're like several several years further into this exact same thing like the raptors are about to do year two arguably year three of it and people are already starting to get a little patience the bulls are like way down the line and they've given up assets to stay in this 500 range they've given out long-term contracts to stay in this 500 range I don't know that that sneaky like maybe DeMar gets traded take that I threw out with Michael Pena when he was on with us I, I kind of I'm thinking about it more and more free DeMar free DeMar to Rosen um well the show boys that was a it was a nice fun day and uh, you know honestly the vibes after a win uh, both in the team and also on this show are uh, night and day but that does it for us today I've been your host Willow you've been listening to the Raptor show on the Sportsnet Radio Network Make sure you find The Raptor Show wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe, and please rate and review the show. Thanks once again to David Thorpe, Blake Murphy, producer and co-host Alex Wong, our board producer Derek Brendale, Frank Baraska, David Sis, J.R. Manitad. I'll be behind the scenes. We'll be back to talk to you tomorrow.